Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hello to you. How are you today? If I'm not, no, I'm going to have to speak like that, hey? Please grab your seats tonight. If you visit my dad and you ask him how he's going, he goes, you know, that's the life. Thanks to God, you know. Thanks to God. Now, when you hear him say that, you're not convinced he's Chinese. You're not convinced he's Australian. Even though you might not fully grab what he has to say, because sometimes their language even gets mixed up, not just the accent. Like one of my relatives who, well, not really a relative, a friend of a relative, rushing his wife to hospital. She was having a baby. She goes, so my wife, I had to take her to the hospital. She was having contradictions. (laughs) And you think, sometimes as God's church, we get our language mixed up. But we also don't have a clear accent. God is about to restore the accent back to His church. He's doing that right now across the world as Christianity is being clarified and redefined. By the end of this night, I pray that it won't just be a message. I hope it's a massage that will do something to you tonight that will affect your language and your accent. Because we need to carry the accent of heaven. Not just because of the grief and pain that we are going through as a family. But I say this because it's always been our narrative that heaven is our home. And eternity is what defines everything we do. If you were to ask me tonight, why do you serve? Why do you do what you do? Oh, I just love the stage. No, 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 it's not that. It's amazing how many people I interview that have the call of God on their life. And I say, what are you called to? Preach and teach. Nobody wants to clean toilets. Nobody wants to work around the building. You see, sometimes we think it's about us, but it's never about us. It's about the fact that if the resurrection of Jesus Christ had never taken place, I wouldn't want to do any of this. But we do this because of our eternal hope. And tonight I'm going to share a message around the thought that God can only open doors for us if we are willing to live with contrasts. I'm going to give you a message that is a bread and butter message to the longevity of your Christian walk. Because God is a good God. And yet we can live at times with excruciating pain. If I only had pain, I don't know how I would go. But I've got purpose that helps me walk with my pain. And tonight there are some of you in pain and during the worship, the Holy Spirit, I believe, dropped a couple of things in my heart that God wants to settle troubled hearts tonight. There are some of you in this room, can we bow our heads right now? I don't need to preach and have an altar call at the end. But right now, while every head's bowed, there has been trouble in your heart for numbers of reasons and you go, God, I go to church. It's where my friends are. It's where I hang out. And yet my heart is troubled. 
And tonight, I want to promise you before God that He wouldn't give me this during the worship if He didn't want to do something with this. He wants you to leave this place with peace in your heart. And if you've walked in here tonight with a troubled heart while every head's bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you right now. I want you to slip up your hand wherever you are in this auditorium. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So many hands. Father God, tonight I pray that these people will understand how much You love them. Father, that they'll understand that tonight You were here before they were here and that You were preparing a way for them, that they will go home tonight with the weight off their shoulders and their troubled hearts healed. I pray in Jesus' Name. Amen and Amen. About three weeks ago, it just comes to my mind now, I'll get to the message in a moment, but I'm in Queensland on the Gold Coast praying, sorry, preaching for a conference of people who are dealing with drug addiction. And there were the leaders of uh, freedom homes, restoration homes that work with people that are drug addicted. And they were having their national conference. They asked me to be one of the speakers. And at the end of my preaching, I did something that I used to do years ago when I was a youth pastor. It's just come back into my narrative the last 12 months or, or really eight months. And it's at the end of a service having an altar call for people to get married to Jesus. I used to do it years ago as a youth pastor where people would come to the front, grab the microphone and say, Jesus, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I want to give you my life. I don't understand all that's going on, but I'm going to follow you if you give me the grace to walk with you. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that you'll never divorce me because you signed the wedding certificate with your blood. And kids would come and grab the microphone. And I haven't done that for years. And recently I felt God say, you need to do this with adults, not just with kids. And, and people need to reaffirm their walk with God again. And, and so here we are at this conference. And I have this altar call for people to come and grab the microphone. A man in his 50s, face covered in tattoos and big holes in his ears and studs in his nose and lips and eyelids and standing there looking really tough. And just starts to cry his eyes out. He goes, Jesus, I'm so sorry for being mad at you. For walking into the garage and seeing my dad's body there as he took his own life. Jesus, I'm so sorry that I'm so angry at you that my mum walked out on us. And I haven't seen my own children for nine years. And the addiction in my life has consumed my life. And tonight I say no more, no more, no more. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to make this consistent. And so I prophesied over him and I'm praying for him. And I said, the condition in your body is being healed right now. I said, the condition of addiction that's uh, affected your body. And I will hear about this when you go to the doctors. I was in church this morning at Renella. In the middle of worship, a text comes through from the pastor that was with that young man or that man in his 50s. He wasn't young. And he says he's just come back from the doctors and all the hepatitis C and all the other stuff that was in his system has totally gone. And he wanted to pass on to you. How awesome that is. And yet in the middle of all that, there are things that happen in our lives we don't understand and we don't see the answers we want to see. And where's God and all that? And in just a moment, I'm going to open that up for a few minutes, but I just want to speak prophetically into the life of the church this afternoon. I always carry a cardboard piece of paper in the front of my Bible. And as the Lord speaks to me about 
the meeting I'm going to preach in, he will tell me things and I believe it's him. Anything smarter than I can think of that comes into my head, it's probably God. (laughs) And this is just another way of saying the things I've always said when I've been here. Because when I walk in, you pick up the spirit of what God is doing. This is a defining moment, not only for this house, but for every church that wants to be the model that church of church that God wants it to be. God has had it up to here with religion. He's really had it up to here with churchianity that isn't Bible-believing Christianity. And there's a reformation coming to the church. And Tony and Kath, this is a time of redefining to equip and release for a new era. As I was just this afternoon, just sitting there thinking, I felt this came into my heart, that God is equipping you to release. And church, you need to make room because you're going to see faces up here and you're going to see people up here go, well, where did they come from? And where did they come out of? And it seemed like they were nowhere. And all of a sudden they're here and there's going to be a quick growth in people. There's going to be a stretching that's going to take place because a new era requires a repositioning. And the Scripture God dropped into my heart is in Joshua 3, where God comes to Joshua and He says, Get out from your position, for tomorrow I'm going to take you where we've never been before. Sometimes we want to stay in the same position and expect a different result. But I want to tell you, unless we're willing to be repositioned, then we can't be released into a new era that's going to restore the backslider, an era that's going to bring people back to faith that walked away from faith. We have had a Pentecostal theology that's driven people away from the church as much as it's brought people in, telling people if you come to Jesus, you'll never have a problem in the world. Come to Jesus and you'll prosper in everything you do. Come to Jesus and you'll be successful. And that's part of the story. And God does promise those things. But we've got to give people the whole story. And there is a story that hasn't been told that churches like this need to tell and God is raising you up but you've got to be repositioned for where he wants to take you so where does he want to take you he wants to take you listen to this just in the worship tonight I'll get to my message in just a second and I won't go on forever listen to this Ezekiel 37 I've preached many times from it but tonight in the worship I saw something different the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. Bones don't have identity. Bones you can't recognise. Bones don't stand out, you know, sort of, uh, you know, there's nothing about bones. And yet God is raising a church that will allow God to get hold of them so He can take you to hidden potential. So He can take you to the place of promised potential. And what comes in as dry old bones will be turned into something powerful like an army of God. And it says, And the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And I really felt God say to me, there are too many Christians right now on the planet that their hurt gets hold of them. Their disappointment gets hold of them. Their distraction gets hold of them and God wants His church back and it's time we let the Lord get hold of us. Because when the Lord gets hold of us, 
We don't mind being repositioned. We're happy to go wherever, but He'll never take us to a place that means nothing. He'll take us to a place of new life. He'll take us to a place of refreshing. He'll take us to a place of reshaping. He'll take us to a place of releasing into the purposes that He has for us. And so Victory Church 2017 is gonna look very different. For all of us, 2016 was horrible. It's been a horrible year. And yet in the midst of it all, God is still real. He is present and He's also preparing us to be repositioned. At the birth of my own church in 1994, God gave me a promise. He gave me a promise out of Revelation chapter 3 and in a moment we'll go to it and share four points out of this passage of Scripture that I believe you can take home. But in essence, that passage of Scripture is written to the church of Philadelphia and God says through the writer, I've opened a door before you that no man can shut. God opens doors that no man can shut and God shuts doors that no man can open. And at the birth of our vision in 1994, this was one of the many promises of God given to me about our future. I guess I was a little naive having been given a promise like that that I thought everything would go so amazing. I mean, I had a vision given to me by God, friends. Surely everybody could see that. When I would stand in a platform and share that vision, of course, everybody would love that. Never is anyone gonna question the pureness of my motive, really. I was walking on the beach one day and God gave me a promise. He says this to me. He says, the risks that you take that flow from revelation I will always reward with results. And I go, wow, the risks that you take that flow from revelation, I will always reward with results. I go, wow, that means everything's gonna go awesome. Well, the fact it's been an awesome 22 years and God has kept every promise. Every promise that He made, He kept, but I had no idea on how it was gonna come about. I remember God speaking to me about buying the building at Renella. And we only had 900 people at the time and we needed a half a million dollar offering in one Sunday. I remember saying to my eldership, God's told me it's gonna come in in one offering. And they go, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Ian Zerner had showed me how to put a stewardship campaign together. We'd done all the brochures. I'd spent $5,000 on brochures. And God says, I never told you to do that. That's not a risk that you're taking that's flown from revelation. You're doing what Ian's doing. I've called you to be you. I haven't called you to copy somebody else. And I remember tearing up the brochures in front of the church and said, I'll pay for them myself if I have to. Now, I didn't realise this sounded like a threat, but I said, if the money doesn't come in, I'll resign. Now, think about it now. I thought that sounded like a threat, (laughs) but it wasn't a threat. I was just saying, I'm a false prophet. If I'm saying God said and God didn't say, you don't deserve me to be your pastor. But I couldn't stop every time I prayed, getting an assurance that the money would come in. And to cut a long story short, our eldership, our board, our deacons, some churches are deacon possessed. And so, you know, our deacons at the time says, you're crazy. We don't want you to leave the church. But if we get 200,000, this is 16, 17 years ago, probably more, more about 18 years ago now. They go, you're not gonna get that kind of money. I said, but I believe God told me. One offering. One Sunday, $640,000 cash 
in one offering. And today that building sits there because of that one day. The risks that you take that flow from revelation. Now, I reckon that was good deposits in the bank. So no one's gonna leave the church now. They can see how spiritual I am. You know, me and God are like this and it's not me over here. You know, we're pretty close. But people still get upset about stuff. And I realise that open doors are the promise of God to us, but there's something we've got to get hold of. I remember when God gave me the Sunday, Monday church message about Sunday church being hands reached up and Monday church hands reached out. Oh, you know what He's doing now? He's becoming like the Salvation Army. He's losing His Pentecostal distinctives. He's not a penty anymore. He's now down the social justice thing. It's amazing how people judge you by what's inside of them. Why can't it be both? And then I realised every scripture I was finding at that time, like Isaiah chapter one, come now let us reason, though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. We used to have the organ playing with just as I am, playing at the altar time. Some of you don't even know that hymn. Just as I am, Billy Graham, if you were to be run over by a bus tonight, where would you spend eternity? Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. And I remember reading this, it's got nothing to do with salvation. The whole chapter is the indifference of Israel to the broken and the hurting in the community. And here I am being attacked by religion when Scripture was calling us to no longer be a church with walls, to be a church with no walls that reached out to a broken and hurting community. I thought everybody would jump up and down because it was an open door God gave us. But I realised shortly into my ministry life that not everyone's gonna love you. God has promised doors that will open, but God will only open doors for people that can live with contrast. As I began to look through the Bible, just recently again, I realised open doors doesn't mean no opposition. Now let me explain in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul's writing and he's going to the Corinthians. In the meantime, I'll be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. Really? And if you go through the Bible, you realise that God can't trust people that can only handle blessing. If you want God to trust you, we've got to be able to trust, be trusted with all that comes our way, with blessing and burden, with pain and joy, which we'll explain in a moment. God doesn't create the issues. We live on a fallen planet, friends, and stuff happens that God never initiated. And for some reason at times, He chooses not to intervene. But let me tell you, my friends, when our son Chris passed away, I had to come to a point where I had to realise there's times when you sit and you don't understand why and you sit and you don't have answers and it's okay to be in that posture because in that posture, God will have others carry you. And I thank God for the people that were able to carry us when we couldn't carry ourselves. But there's gotta come a time when you gotta stand. You gotta stand again. And when you stand, you gotta know what to stand on. And I have to stand on what I know about God to be true. I remember sitting on the edge of my bed, bawling my eyes out, saying, God, I don't even know where to turn. 
I don't trust counsellors and some of the stuff Christians have told me is pretty warped. (laughs) So I'm going, God, where do I turn? And he said to me, what about listening to the sermons you've preached to everybody else? I go, really? He says, well, if they're not worth preaching to you, they were never worth preaching to anybody else. I went into my office at home and pulled out a big cardboard box of all my written sermons that I'd written by hand before iPads. Many, many years ago, and the first one I pulled out of the box was stay in the boat in the midst of a storm. And I read five things when Paul was in a storm he never created. See, sometimes storms come our way, we don't create. They don't come because of our disobedience. They don't come because we're just upsetting God or the universe or whatever. They just come because we live on a fallen planet and we don't cause those storms. We don't create those storms. What do you do when you're in the midst of a storm? And God began to speak to me out of my own sermon that I'd preached to everybody else. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't put the right stuff in you in the good times, you're not going to have nothing to draw on when the tough times come. But God is the God of open doors. And I must say tonight, every promise He's given me about our vision has come to pass. 22 years of kept promises. So when I couldn't understand over here, I could stand when I didn't understand on the things I did know about God, I could not deny. And to deny all those things would be stupid because they were so God incidents and they were so God honoured and so God promised that I'm going, God, you're the God of the universe. And in Deuteronomy 29, 29, you say there are mysteries that only belong to you and it's not for us to work them out, but for us to tell our children and our grandchildren as nonna and nonnas to tell our grandchildren the things we do know about the character of God. And so then I had to sing again. Singing is a posture of praise when the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And I had to turn around and say, God, I sing as Michael recently wrote a song. You know, you turn my mourning into dancing. You turn my sorrow into joy. He wrote it because none of those things was the way he felt. But the fact is the language of faith says, I'm not going to sing what I feel. I'm going to sing what I know in my spirit and I am going to sing again. I go from standing to sitting to singing. And then how do you serve again? You serve again because of the promise of eternity and we're only passing through. And this is how you get your accent back. This is how you get your accent back. I'm on Glenburn Road buying cannolis. From a Maria, who makes the best custard in Adelaide. Of course, I buy it for everybody else. And I walk in there and she's crying when she sees me. Why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? I said, Maria, you're Catholic, aren't you? She goes, yes, I am. I said, do you believe in the resurrection? She goes, the Easter story. I said, yeah, that story. I said, because it doesn't make sense if it all stops here. Jesus didn't give His Son to give us temporal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so whoever believes in Him should have temporal life. Last time I checked, it was eternal life. Last time I checked, we all die. Last time I checked, no matter how much we pray over you, if, if being hurt on the planet is not part of God's will at all for any Christian and it's all part of the curse, then how come we age after we become Christians? Because the minute you become a Christian, you should stop ageing because that's all part of the curse. 
There should not be death for the Christian if we're not part of the curse. We live on a cursed planet and Jesus died for one day to give us a place of no pain, no sorrow, no cancer. And last time I checked, we don't all die at 80 and Christians have died at 40, at 30, at 15. Here I am up in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago preaching and a husband and wife come to the front bawling their eyes out. Pastor Danny, we're pastors. We've lost our daughter, 16 years old with leukaemia. We had to resign our church because our people told us if we'd had more faith, she wouldn't have died. Yes, how dumb can you be and still breathe, honestly? Such a wrong theology if we don't see things from eternity. And I wanna tell you, my friends, God will open doors. He's opening doors. How do I sit in my home only a few months before our son passed and have Rick Shelton staying in our home? And he walks into 11 o'clock at night after preaching here, I think it was. I think he'd preached here that night. It was a Sunday night. I thought he'd gotten lost because at 11.30 at night, he was gone. Sharon had gone to bed. His wife had gone to bed. I'm in the back room. I go to open the front door to go looking for him because I thought he was lost. And he walks in the door because I've got to pray for you. I sit in the chair. He lays hands on me. He goes, within three days from now, young men and women you've never met in your life are going to ring you from different denominations. And they're gonna start asking you to speak into their lives and mentor them. You're gonna be like a father to them. Three days exactly, the phone started ringing and exactly what he said happened. And then in January, we lose our own son. We lose our own son. How do you live with that? If we don't understand that he's God in all those postures, And if we don't understand that we can live with contrast, if we allow Him to equip us, then life is just too hard. And doing what I'm doing now is so hard because it's so easy at 60 to say, enough's enough. We suffered with one son, now we're suffering, losing another. And when's this gonna stop? And when's it gonna be enough? But when you see things from eternity... Bob Francis passed away last week. The last words I spoke to him was him going off about my son. Why, where's your God now? Put my hand on his chest. And I said, Bob, if you don't have an eternal hope, we're all stuffed. Bob, please give eternity some thought. I don't know what's happened to him eternally wise, but he's gone now. My heart bleeds. And churches like this, God is raising up of people that don't just come to church when everything's great and don't just come to church when everything makes sense. But we're a people in every season where we can serve our God and live with contrast. I've discovered a pattern for leadership, but it probably affects every one of us here tonight. And that is God plants a purpose in your heart. God will plan a purpose. I know when I was 11, what happened to me. I know what happened to me as a teenager. In fact, the other night, the Lord woke me up and I haven't got time to tell you the story. And He showed me the open doors in every 10 years of my life. This is what happened when you were 17 to you know 27. This is what happened in the next season. This is what happened. And He showed me the corresponding attack in each one. I go, Wow. So I get into my 50s and God tells me to hand the church over and it's amazing the attack that comes on your confidence. Well, what are you gonna do now that you're retired? What are you gonna do now that you don't have a title? And let me tell you, friends, God puts a dream in your heart 
And while it stays in your heart, there's not a problem. But the minute you proclaim it, then the enemy knows where you're going and he will put a plan in place to persecute you. And if you don't persevere past the test, you won't possess the promise. And I wanna tell you tonight, that is not just a few letters starting with P. That is something that you can massage yourself with. You can go home with this. God will plant something in your heart. The next person to show up probably isn't the Holy Ghost to say how awesome you are. That's what happened to Jesus in the wilderness. The devil shows up with a counter offer. And I wanna tell you friends, unless you're prepared to pass some tests, to persevere because you've proclaimed what God has put in your heart, you will never get to possess the promise. People that know how to live with contrast. Let me explain 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. This is Paul speaking. We serve God whether people honour us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we're well known. We live close to death, but we're still alive. We've been beaten, but we've not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing and yet we have everything. Wow, that's living with contrast. Many times Paul even asked God to take away the thorn in the flesh in his life, three times. And each time he was told no. What a persistent man to keep trying. He didn't say, okay, the first time he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And there's nothing wrong with persistent faith. Until the day I die, I'm gonna pray for the sick. Until the day I die, I'm gonna believe for miracles. Until the day I die, I'm not gonna be a pessimist walking around trusting the sovereignty of God as an excuse to not believe for God to move. While I have breath and while I have life, we will proclaim the goodness of God and we will preach the goodness of God. But we do trust His sovereignty When we live with contrast, can you live with blessing and burden? I feel this is the most blessed time of my life until January this year. You live with pain every day. I've probably laid hands on four or five hundred people since Chris has passed who have lost loved ones. I walked out of church this morning at Renella. I saw a couple sitting in the corner and I said, how are you? And they said, not good. I stopped and walked back. I said, what happened? He said, our son took his life three days ago, 35 years of age because of mental illness. I couldn't just stop and say, well, we'll be thinking of you. My heart broke. As a father, my heart broke. Somehow you can feel that pain. I've just been in South Africa and in one night we laid hands on 300 people that have lost loved ones. We went for hours after the service and then you go back to the hotel room and cry yourself to sleep. Am I a hypocrite for still preaching? Oh, it's so good you're busy, Danny, because it it helps, doesn't it? It kills the pain. Really? People don't understand. I'm not trying to be busy, to be distracted. The reality is when our son was alive, we didn't think about him every day because we knew he was doing okay. But now you think about it a thousand times a day and it breaks your heart. And then you've got to get up And know that He's the sovereign God who opens doors that no man can shut. 
and you keep going. And we need a new generation that doesn't get married to Jesus and then they go to a church and the minute that church offends them, they divorce that church. They go off to another church and marry that church until that church offends them. And then they keep getting spiritually divorced over and over again because I don't get what I want. And at three o'clock yesterday morning, the Lord woke me up and told me stuff I've never heard before. He said, there's a difference between understanding people's humanity, but not excusing their carnality. You see, carnality is when your flesh overrides what God wants. Your flesh overrides what the Word wants. And I want what I want at any cost and I'm gonna get what I want. And pride and rebellion comes in. There's no grace to equip us for that. The grace of God is for our humanity that says we're broken. We don't know what we're doing here. We need the grace of God to take us forward. And we surrender to that grace and we say, God, do your work in me because I can't do that. That's humanity. That's understanding the beauty of God using broken vessels. Broken vessels, He's an expert at using, but not carnality where we let our flesh override the Word of God and what God wants in our life. Can you live with affirmation and attack at the same time? I know as pastors we do. That's why 1,700 pastors a month are resigning the ministry around the world. Can you live with the comfort of the Gospel and a crisis of faith? Can you live with pain and purpose? Can you live with times of faith and times of frustration? Patience and persistence. Can you be persistent in your faith and then when the answer doesn't come, you patiently wait? We've got to be able to live with those contrasts. Can we live with clarity and confusion, joy and sadness, hurt and hope, supernatural breakthroughs and God's silence, God's yes and God's no. And I've discovered whenever God says no, He's got a better yes. Because God's promises are all yes and amen. You see, when Cain, and I shared this last time I was with you in the morning, when Cain offered a sacrifice to God that wasn't the right sacrifice, God said to him, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. Instead of him saying, okay, what do I need to do? He can't handle the rejection. He goes into depression. He goes into detaching himself, starts to murder his brother. And the whole story is all over the world today of people that feel I was rejected. My ministry was rejected. And I wanna tell you, friends, we need to come to God and go, God, you can have all of me. This is what I'd love to do for you. But if you don't want that, God, whatever you want for me, if you say no to this, you've got a better yes for me and your yes will be the best for me. Can you live with contrast? As we go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. The passage of Scripture God gave me at the birth of our vision. I want to give you four quick things out of this passage of Scripture. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no man can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do and I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength. Yet you obeyed my word and I did not deny and you did not deny me. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. 
In this passage of Scripture, God gave it to me at the birth of our vision. And at the birth of our vision, the predominant thought from the Scripture was the importance of brotherly love and the importance of unity. Now, I'm just going to give you a couple more points after that very quickly, but listen to this very, very carefully. I believe the day is coming where we need to clarify what unity means. Unity in the future of this house and in the future of houses like this that want to honour God has to be number one, unity of doctrine. It's unity of belief. What do we believe together in this house about the Bible, about who Jesus is, about the resurrection, the fundamentals of Christianity? There's got to be a basic belief because in Pentecostal churches right now, that belief is being clouded about morality and a whole lot of other things. There's a cloud and people use words like, yeah, but we're under grace. We're not under legalism and we don't want to be controlled. Three words used totally out of context. I'd love to talk to you about one day. But I wanna tell you, God is bringing the church back to unity of belief. And secondly, secondly, unity of the culture that builds that belief. So from the way we do our cafes, the way we do our car park, the way we welcome people, it's all part of our doctrine. It's not just something we do to be cool. It's not something we do to be trendy. It's something we do because we have a conviction and that conviction is to build a pattern. And that pattern is our belief system that flows from our doctrine, what we believe about God. And therefore our culture will always build what we believe. Our behaviour will reflect what we believe. And I believe not everybody likes that. They say, oh yes, too controlling at that church. Yeah, you meet those pastors of that church, it's their way or the highway. This is not a democracy, friends. It's a theocracy where we hear the Word of God and by way of revelation, we put into application that which God has given to us as our assignment on the planet and it is not negotiable. I have been called a control freak. I've been called a narcissistic person because I wouldn't surrender to some of the guys on my team a few years ago that wanted to take the church in a direction that I knew the church should not go. Today, I look back and I thank God I stood my ground and I've been able to hand over a church in the posture that God wanted it handed over in. But let me tell you, it wasn't a nice place to be in at the time when people are having roast pasta for lunch every Sunday, (laughs) talking about it's his way or the highway, control freak. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, the church of Philadelphia was the only church, my friends, in the seven churches spoken to in the book of Revelation that had nothing wrong with them. There was nothing negative. There was no correction, only affirmation. Oh, I'd like to be that kind of church. And the writer writes to this church. And if you know the history of this church, the first point is this. It was a church of genuine relationship, right? The word relationship. It's relationship around what I've just said. It's not relationship. Can I say one of the worst things that's happening in contemporary churches is the power of bad friendships people that get together with their disappointment and they get together and they minimise the issues to their hurt and not see the bigger picture of what God is actually assigned the church. It freaks me out that God can trust leaders with a vision that people can't trust. You think really God can trust them, but you can't? You think really? Come on, don't let your personal pain get in the way. Grow out of your pain, rise out of your pain. This 
church was called the Church of Philadelphia. The town was founded by the King of Pergamum in 190 BC. The town received its name by the King's nickname, which Philadelphus or brother lover. He so much loved his brother and had such an affection for his brother that this town is named after his nickname, Church of Brotherly Love. City of brotherly love. Oh, it's so good to see Daniel healed here tonight uh, from a church up the road. And I'm so glad that in this city, we're learning to love one another and give brotherly and sisterly love to one another because that kind of love opens doors that no man can shut. That kind of love opens before us the doors that no man can shut. People who honour, I got real quick, time's running out. I've got one minute and 49 seconds, 48, 47. Okay, real quick. You know, I was reading the other day, there were two or three are gathered in God's name, God's in the midst. The reality is if you claim to be a Christian, every time you gather, God's in the midst. Because you're carrying God in you. It's not like He leaves the room when you start gossiping. When you start attacking people, do you think God just goes, oh, I think I better go to another house. You know, and the thing is, how does God leave the room when you finished your session? How does everybody else leave the room? How do you leave the room? Because let me tell you, we've allowed sometimes people of hurt from all over the place to find each other. And they come together and they nurse those hurts. But we need brotherly love. And this is what the Lord said to me. And I, and I, and I want to prophesy this over you. Choose your relationships very carefully in 2017. Choose friendships that are going to speak God into your life. Choose friendships that are going to honour His Word, that are going to tell you the truth, that are going to care for you, that are going to connect with you, but they're also going to correct you if you're not doing the biblical narrative. I need those kind of friends. I've asked Pastor Tony and six other great men of God around this country to hold me accountable. I'm going to Create around me an accountability team. Why? Because I need friends that tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. And the church of Philadelphia understood relationship. I'm moving quickly. Number two, they were a people of resilience. In 2017, if you want to live with contrast, you've got to be a people of resilience. It says you have little strength. Why would God open doors for a church that has little strength? Why would God make a major shift in Victory Church that you guys are not even aware what's happened? God has made a shift in this church while Tony was in hospital. How does God shift a vision closer to its destiny when its leader is fighting for his life? It doesn't make sense in the natural, does it? And yet God in His sovereignty who's promised over this house a door that no man can shut at a time of not a lot of strength and at a time of physical pain. And many of you in this room have gone on that journey with them. Can I thank you for going on the journey with our family? You are our family as well. And you've gone on for the many people that have rallied around our family. Thank you so much. But you know, sometimes the weariness of the pain And yet God speaks to those kind of people in weakness and goes, I've opened a door before you. 
that no man can shut. Because if we are people of genuine relationship, we will become people of resilience. And it says this, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they shall go out no more. Philadelphia had lots of earthquakes and I studied it again this afternoon. I'm not trying to be a deep teacher. Just go to Google and you'll find out. I'm a Google Amuchi. So you Google and you find out. And so you go there and you Google and you find out they had earthquakes in Philadelphia. So everybody lived outside the walls of the city. Most people lived outside the walls of the city because they were scared that when the earthquakes would come, the pillars would crumble and crush the people. He that overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. In our weakest, we're our strongest. And I wanna tell you, if we stay connected in godly brotherly love in relationships that really matter, we will be able to rise up and be a people of resilience because number three, they were a people of revelation. They were a people of revelation that says, you did not deny my word. And let me tell you, my friends, when, Chris passed away. There were Scriptures God's given me all my life I had to lean on because they were personal letters of God to me in my life. And you need as a Christian your own personal revelation. You need your personal understanding of who God is because the preaching will be great, but it won't be enough. And let me tell you, you can go to church and it might not be the message you wanted to hear, but there is a church inside of you. And as you lead that church and as the Word of the Lord comes as revelation to that church, let me tell you, though the victory, so though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Amen. I want the musicians to come. And then you become a person of resolve. You see, relationship, resilience, revelation, and resolve were what kept this church under incredible pressure together. They went through opposition, through Judaism. And if you go and study it, I haven't got time, what that church went through. But he says, I've opened a door before you that no man can shut. When I pray for my grandchildren every day, God, may they walk through doors that no man can shut in the midst of their pain, in their midst of not fully understanding in the midst of their stress, we pray for our daughter-in-law. We pray for our family. Nothing's ever the same again. It's going to be a hard Christmas this year. And we can't hide that. We can't deny that. We can't pretend it's all okay. Because it's not. But one thing I do know. He's a good God. And whatever He's promised to me, He's fulfilled. I can't walk away because I can't put him in a box. Chris used to say all the time to me, if we can take God and put him in a box of our understanding, he stops being God. And tonight, God is looking for people that can say for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all other ways. I'm going to follow him. I look at the Doughton family in this church with Greg Doughton going through his challenge for those of you that know Greg. And yet there's a resolve in God. We can't go telling people out there, come to Jesus and everything will be fantastic in your life. But we can say, come to Jesus and everything will have purpose. Everything will be real. His peace will be yours. 
Let's bow our heads right now all over this room. Maybe you're here for the first time tonight or maybe you're visiting or maybe you've detached yourself from church because you've been hurt and that's affected how you walk with God. And I'm just going to in very quick moment pray for those of you that know God's not part of your world right now. You're disconnected from Him. I'm not going to stand here and say He's going to fix everything, but He is a great fixer. And He will fix what needs to be fixed. But more important, we're all leaving this place and eternity's real. And if you carry the hope of eternity inside of you, everything in life can have the purpose that's married to your pain so you can stand and not fall. And tonight, you need to know I never came to God because He gives me everything I want. I came to God because He's the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. The resurrection really happened. And therefore, we're just passing through. What's 40, 50, 100 years compared to eternity with God? And it's a promise that God will keep when you surrender your life to Him. If you say, Danny, I'm totally disconnected from God, will you pray a quick prayer tonight that will just start me opening up to God again? Because I know I need Him in my life. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand wherever you are and I'm going to pray that tonight, thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Anybody else? You just feel totally away from God tonight and you need to come back to having Him in your life. There's four more people in this room tonight that you just need to say, God, I need to come home. Yes, thank you, God bless you. Anybody else? I believe there's a couple more. Yes, thank you. God bless you. You can put it down again. Anybody else? I'm telling you, my friends, you can look up again. I've run out of time, but quick. I couldn't handle life right now without the reality of my faith walk. It's not perfect, but it's real. And I know God is real. And without that, I don't know, life's not worth living. No parents should bury their children. And that pain is just unbelievable. And yet in the middle of that, there is a peace. Because we have an accent. We come from another country. We are on colony earth, but we belong in eternity. And friends, tonight, let's speak the language of home, not the language of where we're in for a short time. Let's not forget our accent. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 